I am Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie. And we're paranormal specialists who live in the most haunted city on earth, Savannah, Georgia. Every day is Halloween in our line of work, so join us as we spin true tales of haunts, murders, and disturbing Savannah history. I'm Madison. I'm Chris. And, and welcome, welcome to, to the most haunted city on earth. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Most Haunted City on Earth. My name is Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie. And today we are going to be covering the uh, idea of residual hauntings and intelligent hauntings and what the difference is, maybe some examples, different experiences that we had, and we're just going to talk about that because we've mentioned it a lot on the podcast, yes. but I don't think we've... <laughs> it comes actually, up a lot. I, well, you know, it's, it's like one of the basis of, you know, paranormal everything, So, I, but I don't think we've thoroughly really discussed exactly what they are. So. so what is a, let's talk about residual hauntings first. Um, what is a residual haunting and what are a few examples? So residual hauntings, how I like to explain them is because I like analogies um, where a residual haunting is like when a snake sheds its skin. The snake is not there but the skin is, and you're just seeing the skin. You knew the snake was there at some point, but you don't have that contact with it. So basically, you're just seeing something left behind by someone who was alive. Sometimes, you know, it's a traumatic incident. Sometimes it's uh, just something they did repetitively. Sometimes it's just general routines, and that can come in the forms of smells. They can come in the forms of apparitions yeah, like you can get spirits that are you know aren't able to like move things and they don't have any kind of motive to go about things but they're just in a loop almost yeah absolutely um i always use a tape recorder as as my analogy which is you record something on the tape and then under the right circumstances somebody's pressing play you know, when the environment is the same. That's why so many ghost stories are, it happened at exactly this time at night, mm -hmm. or it happened on this date, or it was a dark and stormy night. They're suggesting that the environment has to be the same in order for the recording to play. It, it is a recording of an event uh, of somebody's life, and it does not have to necessarily be traumatic. However, traumatic events are big spikes yeah. in the existence of a person, and that can be recorded more readily by the environment. And as long as the environment stays relatively the same, you will get the fact that th these four walls witnessed it, the fact that the, the area was there when it occurred. Um, so I, I have a residual haunting story. Ooh, that cool. was uh, uh, one, of my, you know, one of my favorite ghost stories to tell because it, 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 it asks a lot of questions and answers a lot of questions at the same time. Um, when I first moved to Savannah, Georgia, I door-to-doored I, I -door it. I would go to people's houses, knock on the door, and just simply ask, do you have any ghost stories? Do you know of any you know, paranormal events? Is there something in your house that you, know, is, you would consider to be a paranormal encounter? Nowadays, that gets you shot. Well, it's, it's, it's not the same. <laughs> uh, not people the same were, were, were really open. People were like, don't steal my packages. And, and most, people, <laughs> uh, most people would be like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, I've got a ghost story. And 
Good times. And they would tell me these very uh, brief and very small experiences that they had, which inevitably don't become ghost stories. You know, it's like uh, you, you felt a presence or you saw something out of the corner of your eye. Not necessarily a story per se, um, but there was, a, there was one house uh, on the corner of Jones and Drayton. And uh, I knocked on the door and the guy who answered the door, I swear I thought he was going to a costume party because he was wearing a like metallic gold vest and a bow tie, a little thin bow tie. Is and he the had, owner of the Savannah Bananas? No. Uh, oh. uh, I mean, we're talking metallic <laughs> gold. I mean, oh, okay. it looked very nice. Yeah. But it was, it was odd. He looked like Rhett Butler. He even had like the, the thin <laughs> mustache. And he had a gigantic like novelty martini glass and a cigarette in a cigarette holder. Wow. And so he answers the wow. door like this and I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> And he's like, well, what can I do for you? And I'm like, oh, uh, I would like a, um, uh, I'm just going around asking, do you have any ghost stories, any paranormal activity, any, you know, supernatural events? And he was like, well, yeah, get on in here. And he walks away and I kind of like, you know, walk behind him. And he's like, I'll be right back. And he, and he leaves me in is his living room. going to get a Chick-fil-A? Room. I mean, it's KFC. Yeah, I don't know. He was, <laughs> he was, he was gone. No, and he sounded like Foghorn Leghorn. Yeah. You know, he had, he had this amazing southern accent. Oh, so wow. he, so say, he disappears. I say, I say, I got a ghost story. Right. <laughs> and he goes. And uh, about 10 minutes later, he comes back. And, uh, and he's like, well, you have not made yourself at home. And I'm like, No. Uh, I have not. I said, well, have a seat, have a seat. So we sit down in the living room and then he proceeds to tell me like all of these very uh, rumor filled gossip stories about his neighbors. And he's just like going off on them and telling me all of the dirty details of who's sleeping with who and what's happening and all this stuff. And I'm just like, the tea. Okay. He's giving me the tea. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. And so, you know, after a considerable amount of time, I'm like, well, I gotta go. And he's like, oh wait, I thought, I thought you wanted to hear a ghost story. I was like, well, yeah. He said, well, okay, wait right here. Uh, I, I'll show you my ghost story. And he disappears. And it's just ringing in my head what he said. I'm going to show you my ghost story. And I'm just like, what is he doing? And so I'm like thinking he's in the next room like getting an ax and sharpening it. And he's just gonna come back out. <laughs> And I'm like, I can make it to the door if he comes out. <laughs> how, how hard would it be to roll to the door and get out? Um, but he comes back and he's got a picture in a frame, a photograph, mm-hmm. and he hands it to me. I'm looking at it and it is a picture of him standing next to a bed and sitting on the bed is a little boy and it's this little cramped room. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay. And I've seen ghost photography all my life. And you're looking at specs or you're looking at, you know, like what looks like a double negative. You're looking for all this stuff. I don't see anything in this picture that is telling me or screaming at me that there's a ghost. And I was like, what am I supposed to see here? He's like, well, that boy wasn't in the, in the room when the picture was taken. I'm like, excuse me? The boy was solid. It was a solid picture of a boy sitting on a bed. I'm like, where is this? And he's like, well, that's my childhood home. That's my own bedroom. I'm like, oh, Okay. Do you recognize this boy? He's like, oh, I know that boy very well. He goes over to his bookcase and pulls out this old black leather photo album, starts flipping through the pages. And he comes to this old black and white picture, like in the 50s, and he puts it down and he taps on it. He's like, look, and it's the boy. And I'm like looking at the picture in my hand. I'm looking at the picture in the photo album. I'm like, oh gosh, is, 
is this your brother? Did your brother die when, when he was a child? He's like, no, that's me. How do you like that? I managed to haunt myself. <laughs> and I was like, bruh, what? How? Why? What? He's like, oh, yeah, I was visiting my, my own home uh, right before my, my, my mother sold it. And this picture was taken in my old bedroom. And it came right out. And I was like, how do you think this happened? He's like, well, I, I just imagine that house had old memories. And when I showed up, it just wanted to show off the memory. And that was my favorite explanation of a residual haunting ever. I wow. love that. That places yeah, have that memories. Too. That's awesome. And that the, the place wants to share its memories. Mm-hmm. Given the opportunity, you can share your memory. And that always led me to that notion that you don't have to be dead to haunt a place. Absolutely. That a place that you had high emotional uh, uh, context where, where you had this high emotional investment, you can still be there in energy, in impression. The place recorded your existence and will play it back under the right circumstances. So if you're not careful, you might just run into the ghost of you. Oh, all right. And for those of you who do not know who Rhett Butler is, neither do I. All right. (laughs) He's he's Clark Gable's character from Gone with the Wind. Yes. (laughs) He is the quintessential Southern gentleman. Did you not watch Gone with the Wind? No. Bad Savannian. Bad Savannian. Bad Savannian. Bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, so... So before we start talking about intelligent hauntings, which is, you know, I know it's the meat and potatoes, it's the fun <laughs> stuff. What are some really well-known examples of um, residual hauntings? Well, at least in Savannah, a lot of times the residual hauntings people pick up on happen in parlors um, in the houses. It's always in a parlor um, because... Well, it's true. Um, well, parlors were where they held their parties. Their gatherings, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, and usually a lot of the houses in Savannah have, um, uh, basically they have doors that section off the double parlors so that there would be a men's half and a women's half. Um, and every single parlor I've ever been in in this city that's a historic mansion of sorts, they always say on the men's half, it smells like cigar smoke and whiskey or scotch. People report hearing that because that's what the men did. They would smoke their cigars and they would talk business or politics or whatever. And then always on the women's side, it smells like perfume or, you know, tea or things like that because that was where the women would be. So I feel like that's like, the biggest examples of residual hauntings in Savannah is because people everywhere you go, because it it was a common occurrence that happened once a month, you know, or, you know, sometimes even more than that. So it leaves impressions on those homes and you're picking up on them still. I think the most uh, famous residual haunting in Savannah, at least, is the Marshall House. Well, rotten flesh, right? Well, the rotting sure. flesh scent. Yeah, because yeah, um, yeah. So with the with the Marshall House, a lot of people loved saying that it was a demonic entity inside the Marshall House because it has that rotten flesh scent that fills rooms three thirteen and three fourteen. Um, and so usually, you know, when you get the smells of sulfur and things like that, it's usually associated with demons. But it's because of the fact 
that it was a union hospital at the time and people came there to get amputations and a lot of times they died from those procedures because of their horrific um, infections that they would get and those infections obviously are going to have smells with them and it's going to smell like rotting flesh and it's kind of just left an impression on the hotel Unfortunately, but also Unfortunately. music is a good yes. uh, a good residual haunting. When you hear uh, about music, people hearing music, music is an interesting uh, thing because it's not a band is somewhere playing. There's a, a ghost yeah. band making music. Mm-hmm. It is this lingering recording of an event or a recording of something that uh, if you go by, the, and this was actually in the newspaper in the early 1900s, a story about late night by the Savannah Theater, hearing audiences clap and hearing music from inside. And to me, that sort of, you know, uh, the applause of somebody isn't uh, an army of ghosts cheering. It is the memory of an an audience cheering something on and and hearing that music. Um, I've definitely been in the Savannah Theater when I've heard music from nowhere. And it's like, okay... That seems to be just pervading the area. It's not a forceful entity. It's mm-hmm. not. It, it doesn't really serve the purpose of anything other than saying there was music here and yeah. here it is. Um, I oftentimes think of uh, anytime, and this is mansions all over. We we have it at the Kehoe House, all over. Uh, the 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 mistress of the house descending the staircase. Oh yes. A ghost on the staircase, I want to say the Lady in Brown is there, the Whitfield Library has one. There's the, the grand staircase of a house and having the woman descend in, in a beautiful dress, very common ghost, and I want to say that that is purely residual in the sense that it is not attempting to, uh, to communicate, yeah. it is not attempting to uh, infer anything, it is just a situation that occurred with enough frequency for the environment to say, this is what this purpose was. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a grand moment. This was a big moment. And uh, you, you get that a lot of places. You get, yeah. uh, if you ever go to an old uh, mansion, uh, old grand hotels and things like that, the, the stairwell was where you debuted people, where people came, you know, came down yeah. in, in, in all their glory. And you'll oftentimes see ghosts at the top of the stairs or right in the middle of the stairs. The, um, there, in the Andrew Lowe house, that actually happens also because... A lot of times people would pick up on the the lady descending the stairs because they'd feel her hoop skirt brush past them. But it always uh, would follow with the smell of perfume, like a really floral scent of perfume. Mm. My favorite reaction to it, though, was this elderly woman I had on a tour. And we were um, going up the stairs to the second floor to talk about the different rooms up there. And the woman experienced that. And she was like, oh, I smelled the perfume. I was like, oh, what does it smell like? And she goes, cheap. And I was like, like, that's the best. (laughs) That is a solid answer, though. (laughs) Cheap. That's so good. I loved it. Oh, my gosh. It's my favorite reaction to a residual (laughs) haunting I've ever experienced. But but the biggest thing is that the residual haunting that you're talking about doesn't have a brain or or to be offended by that, right? Exactly. (laughs) Okay, well, then let's talk about this is a great transition to what everyone wants to hear about, the intelligent hauntings. So, So tell us about what an intelligent haunting is and a few good either savannah or worldly um, examples. 
what is an intelligent haunting? So um, an intelligent haunting is something that is, it's a spirit that essentially is either choosing to stay on this side of the veil it's, or it sometimes isn't sure how to cross over. But regardless of the reasons why they're on this side, they're able to communicate with us. They're able to, you know, move things. They're actively doing things outside. Of, yeah, they're actively doing things that are outside of like what would just be a, a loop of sort of thing. So if you have a spirit that doesn't stick to a certain routine or is able to talk to you, you're talking to something that has a degree of intelligence, not to say on the demonic side where they are learning things, you know, um, but they have a, a, an area where they can um, recognize sort of things. Okay. So if that makes sense. Yeah, and, it, and that's kind of the, the idea, is that um, generally an intelligent haunt has a purpose. It is, it is responsive, so it can, it can speak back and forth. It has its own base of knowledge, so it can go you know, um, through answering questions, uh, you know, giving you clues, context clues. Mm-hmm. Um, it knows who's, who it is on often occasions. Uh, and that gives you a, a, a good foundation. Uh, so like a perfect example is in EVPs when you're doing electronic voice phenomenon and you're, you're recording and statements come through there are two types of statements. There's a statement that is obviously residual in the sense that it does not refer or infer to the fact that it's a spirit. You know, oftentimes screams, for instance. A scream is more than likely a residual haunting. Somebody being murdered and they're screaming and you hear the scream. But when somebody asks for something, can I have, can I get, you know, um, like there was a chilling one early in the days of EVP, like being a media thing, uh, was um, I Can't Find Me Stone. It was a, it was a child saying can't I can't- Can't find me stone. Yeah, it was a little okay. British child. Can't find me stone. And it was, <laughs> it was suggesting that the tombstone had been moved. Oh. And the spirit could not find his tombstone. And can't it was- stone. You're right, it was so, it was sad, it was prescient, but more importantly, it was an event that happened after death Ooh. that the spirit was responding to or, 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 or being you know, uh, responsive to. So there's a lot of interesting things when you think of, is the spirit attempting to achieve something? Does it want something? Uh, that, that is where you get into the intelligent category. Yeah. Because if a spirit is just running through the motions... You know, um, and, and, and worth noting that a residual haunting can be a, a tether to an intelligent haunt. Like, if you pay enough attention to a residual haunting, you could break the residual haunting into an intelligent haunt by engaging it in such a fashion that the spirit is drawn back to the event. And then you're dealing with an intelligent okay. haunt that was at one point a residual haunting. The fact that we try to suggest that, that, that only residual haunts are residual hauntings and only intelligent haunts are intelligent haunting, that's, again, a, a large part of just what we don't understand. But there are plenty of occurrences where somebody is responding to an event that happens regularly, almost yeah. in a loop. Yeah. 
and then start getting responses and start getting intelligent responses. There are two things that might be happening. One, you're talking to a different spirit. There's another spirit close by who's like, oh, I'll get in on this and, and starts talking to you. Or by observing the residual haunting, you are sort of tugging on the, the intelligent haunt, the intelligent ghost somewhere, and it is coming through because you are witnessing this moment that has been locked in time. So intelligent haunting is, is, is a tricky one because uh, we, we had discussed on this podcast earlier that it's very hard to acknowledge that a human spirit, once it, once it passes, has any ability to learn things simply because our brain functions as our hard drive. And whatever was on the hard drive, ideally when we die, goes to the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> And the only access to the cloud is through, you know, your password. You, you, you have to access it. But nothing new is getting into that, that drive. Nothing new is getting onto the cloud under your account. Um, but that suggests that because we're alive and because our brains function, we can serve as a hard drive for spirits who are a little more forceful and who do want to grow and expand and be on this plane. So there is a lot of parasitic relationships mm -hmm. with spirits and that does not make them demonic it just makes them opportunistic <laughs> sure. um, but I do believe that when a human spirit loses sight of its humanity and it is only interested in the, the forward advancement of its current state it can very well be demonic I think that humans can be promo promoted to demon through lack of empathy sympathy through lack of humanity their desire to have more than we are intended to have makes them dangerous. Like Bloody McKenzie. Yes, like Bloody McKenzie. Bloody McKenzie is a great example of a human being that became a spirit. Well, he's a poltergeist, but um, he became a spirit and lost all empathy. What little empathy he had already. He had no empathy. Yeah, he was a psychopath. If you haven't listened to the Bloody McKenzie episode that we did um, for, for One to Wicked, which is now become a part of this channel, um, definitely listen to it because he is just, was a horrific human being in life and even worse in the afterlife. But, you know. Um, he was great. He's a, a perfect example of a he's spirit like becoming... He's like my favorite entity. Demonic yeah. of sorts. Um, but on the other side of an intelligent haunting, something that is able to communicate with us, um, in the Lake Shawnee uh, mobile podcast that JT and I just did, where we went to Lake Shawnee Abandoned Amusement Park, we were able to communicate with the little boy spirit that, well, at least what we believe is the little boy um, who passed away by drowning in the pond. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, the one that got his arms stuck. That would be an intelligent... Well, yeah, because I was able to ask him, like, hey, can you make the pinwheel spin faster? And he was able to do it, even though there was no wind. There was no wind. It, it was the craziest thing. Yeah, because um, at first... Was it, was a cr it was crazy. You got to see it on YouTube. Like, yeah. I'm not kidding. And when we said goodbye, he did, like, a little do-do-do-do with, like, the pinwheel. And, like, that's an intelligent haunting. Like, he wasn't really, you know... Uh, like asking for, you know, new information or anything. He just wanted to interact with us in that way. And so um, that's how a lot of intelligent hauntings kind of behave. Sure. They just want to interact. Right. Usually. The moment that you have that kind of interaction, the, yeah. the response to a question, you know, um, and you'll see this in countless types of ghost hunting where you're like, could you turn this light on? Can you pass mm -hmm. by? Yes. This? It, what it, that is an intelligent haunting because it is responding to you. It is 
interacting with you. And that becomes, you know, uh, a whole different category of connection. Mm -hmm. If sure. a spirit hears you, because I believe that it is, it is rare for spirits to see the living, as rare as it is for the living to see spirits. So it has to happen in certain formulas. When you think about it in the grand scheme of the world, the haunted locations, the truly markedly haunted locations are actually very finite and very small in comparison to every house that's ever been built, in comparison mm -hmm. to every graveyard, to every grave, every person who ever lived, it's infinitesimally small. The number of ghost stories, I mean, it's everywhere, but it does give you this idea of, of the rarity of it because I think that sure. spirits exist on a spiritual plane and they don't bump into humans all the time. <laughs> and yeah. humans living in uh, uh, the human plane don't bump into spirits all the time. Um, present company just <laughs> excluded uh unless you are you know I, I i think just as there are humans who have a special ability to see and interact there are spirits that have special abilities to see and interact sure, sure, and sure, that sure. becomes this wonderful convergence when you can find somebody on both sides of the veil who have the communicative ability to express and to talk because even in these haunted uh intelligent haunting moments it's so rudimentary. The mm -hmm. connection is very thin and it isn't conclusive in any way, but that's not to say that they're not trying their hardest on the other side yeah. Yeah. and we're not trying our hardest on this side. It's just, that's how difficult, you know, interdimensional communication is. So I think that every now and then, and, and we've talked about this a lot on, on, on the podcast, um, when a spirit is connected to you directly, familial, you know, they know you directly, that becomes a much more easy conversation across the veil. Sure. You know, approaching a stranger <laughs> ghost and saying, turn on this light. You know, it, it's going to be yeah. a, a bit of a difficulty to, to establish that communication or to talk to that, to, to address that. Um, and in many cases, and this is more uh, for people who, who, who can see and can communicate with ghosts because that is a different, I don't have any uh, personal experience with that. So it, it creates this interesting puzzle, which is when ghosts are, uh, we use the word trapped a lot, but when ghosts are yeah. in a vicinity that they, they, they cannot seem to leave, where is the... Because you see it all the time. People are like, well, help them cross. Yeah. Yeah, show yeah. them to the light. Oh, you know, just show yeah. them to the light. And it's like, oh, that's easy. Mm -hmm. you know, oh, yeah, sure. Let's just show them to the light. But the question remains, what is their existence outside of the times that they see you? Mm -hmm. you know, what, are they, what are they doing? Because they are obviously intelligent. I, I, I think of Jim a lot oh, in, yeah. in, that, in that essence because he's obviously intelligent. He obviously has something to communicate. But he's not always around people who, who can see, the, see him or, mm -hmm. or, or will you know, recognize him. What is that day-to-day -day existence like? Is it just a blur? Sure. Yeah, I mean, personally, I don't see Jim often. He doesn't really need to. Like, honestly, after he kind of made his, his peace right. with, you know, what he wanted to communicate, he didn't need to be so, like, rambunctious, I should say. And that's, that's the whole yeah. question is, is that the goal of a spirit to have the, the thing 
that that anchors them here yeah. known. You know, because you hear about mm-hmm. it all the time. It's like find the body, you know, where it was buried. Find, you know, some even the the rights of burial for the bones mm-hmm. becomes an issue of whether or not the spirit can move on or can go on or or, or things of that nature. Um, but yeah, being able to tell you yeah. what happened to him must have been a part of his process. His process. Yeah. Now, can are, are are demons considered intelligent hauntings? They're their own entity. They they really are because they're intelligent to a certain degree. But when we talk about intelligent hauntings, it's usually in reference to somebody who has passed, mm-hmm. and the spirit is still still here. Demons. Um, and, you know, like any kind of entity in that realm was never alive. They were never in a human form. So they are intelligent in a totally different sense um, because they're able to learn. They're able to learn your name. They're able to know what frightens you. you. Well, yeah, yeah. To, what frightens you, what, you know, um, what's going to manip- manipulate you. They're that that's their way of being but with an intelligent haunting they can't really do that right sure so, they're interacting on their own terms uh one of the scariest things about demons um i got into a long conversation with with a friend about this and and his his notion still kind of strikes me is that and, and he was christian so he his 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 concept of demons was christian <clears throat> uh fallen angels was his was his thing and and his his entire concept revolved around this idea that in the beginning, you know, before mankind, before anything else, before there was light, God had angels. Mm-hmm. And God shared the plan. There was a plan. And he was like, this is the plan. And the angel said, it's good. And so there was this, you know, general knowledge of the course of everything. And then... When Lucifer fell, he took a third of the host and they became demons. They did not lose that knowledge. Mm-hmm. They saw the plan. They know what's coming. They know what's, what's, what the path of existence is. Gotcha. And their knowledge of what comes next is the most dangerous asset they have because yeah. it is what they offer us. They mm. tell us and offer us a future they talk about what comes next and so if ever spirit is trying to coax you with you're going to be famous or you're going to be you're going to do this something forward that's a knowledge that is not for us Mm -hmm. you know even in our being alive being able to see through time is a tricky tricky thing because even uh prophetic souls are, are, are being divinely, you know, gifted mm-hmm. that sure, vision sure. for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they, the idea of prophecy or being a prophet is to help the path that we're supposed to be on. If something's offering you that, it's, the danger is what they want to exchange. Yeah. So, um, that that notion that demons come from a place of of deep knowledge, but no empathy, no sympathy, no human traits, just the knowledge mm-hmm. and the desire 
to corrupt us or to be corruptible. Um, because chaos, chaos. Ideally, a demon yes. does not want to kill you. Killing you is not the, the goal. Corrupting you is. And corrupting those around you. Getting more people to turn away from whatever. And that's, you know, it can be God. You turn away from God, but also turn away from the path you were meant to be on. Yeah, it wants you to suffer, and you can't suffer if you're dead. Right. Yeah, yeah. you know, the, 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 the construct of hell even is such a, a, a clouded issue. You know, it's, yeah. it, it, there's so many bizarre back and forths about whether hell isn't earth and, 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 and we, are, yeah, we are going through the trials and the joys, you know, heaven and hell in our lifetime, the highs and the lows to become more pristine spirits at the end. So a demon doesn't want us to reach that ideally. Yeah. You know, our potential, our full potential. So what would be the most famous example of either type of haunting? What's the most famous example of an intelligent haunting? What's the most famous example of a residual haunting? Um, well, for the residual haunting, I would say most people know about how in the Amityville Horror case, which if you should watch that episode of From One to Wicked also because we... It's, built, only, on, it's only on Patreon. Oh, you need to join Patreon then. <laughs> um, because because uh, basically... We talked about like that we think that the family had monetary gain to make up stories in um, paranormal experiences to uh, you know do things that they needed to get done. But they did say how um, the father um, would wake up at the exact time that the DeFeo um, family all were killed, which happens a lot and i think that was like one of the biggest examples of a residual haunting that really stuck with people the idea of waking up at 3 a.m on the dot and that's the the witching hour or right. whatever exactly. yeah that's you know? my my mom wakes up at 505 a.m january 26 every single year because that's when i was born yeah. so that's mm -hmm. a residual haunting right yeah, basically. Starts. So I haunt my mother. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, mom. Yeah, you haunt your mother and you haunt uh, your Mimi's house. Yeah. You're just a big old ghost. Oh, I'm just Are a you big old ghost. Poke him. Make sure he's here. Huh? You here? Uh. Oh. <laughs> 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 but, um, and then intelligent hauntings. Uh, I'm trying to think of like one in like specific ghosts that everybody knows about. Because like in... Savannah. Bloody Mary? Bloody, oh, Bloody Mary is kind of like idea. a tall okay. tale of sorts um, in folklore. <sighs> but in Savannah, it's Alice Riley is what people would consider the most famous intelligent haunting. Um, yeah. Because... I'd agree with that. Because people interact with her. She has a certain goal of being here. You know, she wants to reconnect with her son. Where all the ghost tours start. Well, yeah. Well, because it's it, she is so fueled by us talking about oh, her. She's running around right square like right now. She's just like but she it. she doing laughs. So, well, the fact that yeah. she the fact that she's on a quest. Yes. Probably the the quest of the last moments of her life. The last moments of her life, she was probably fueled with the sorrow and the despair of losing her child, and that the ghost appears looking for child is just that does suggest more intelligent haunt than anything else. And when you really break down like the 
the stories of famous ghosts, um, a lot of them are, are residual hauntings, even in, even in their most classic sense. Like um, the Headless Horseman, which is an entirely fictitious you know, story, mm-hmm. not, not devoid of its roots, but, you know, Washington Irving you know, mm-hmm. constructed yeah. the story. But the story is about a headless horseman who rides, you know, yeah. through. There are two interesting things about a headless horseman. One, he rides a path, a very specific path, which suggests residual. Two, he's headless, which means it's post-death. He had already lost his head, so why is he riding without his head? If he were a residual haunting, he should have his head. But the fact that he only does this one stretch of road suggests that it's residual. It's an interesting dynamic because when you think about it, Washington Irving, a hundred plus years ago, uh, even longer than that, uh, wrote these stories based on the stories that people tell, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the stories that, that people gathered and, and told. So he was typifying the kind of ghost story you hear, which is, oh, along this path, you will see the ghost, you know, um, the lady in white is uh, walking along the sides of roads and you always pass her, but you can't interact with her. But the fact that she's always walking the strange same stretch of road is the residual aspect. But if you stop to interact with her, it becomes an intelligent haunt. Sure. So these are, uh, there is a line to be blurred between the two. And I always say it's, it's highly dependent on whether the ghost uh, has an interaction for you. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, ideally, you cannot steer a residual haunt away from its uh, away from its course. It's just doing its thing, you know, over and over again. However, when you have a story that's, you know, the god walked the parapet every night yeah. at midnight, and you know, he's seen for hundreds of years, and then you go up to the parapet, and you're like, yo. And if, <laughs> yeah. if the ghost stops, it stops being residual. It's now yeah. an intelligent haunt. It's now, yeah, because it just responded to you. Well, yeah, like the, um, a good example of that is the uh, story of uh, the girl who died on prom night. And she, you people... The hitchhiker ghost. Yeah, the hitchhiker yeah. ghost. The girl who died on prom night, she's wearing a prom dress, and she's seen an, uh, usually under bridges or on the side of roads. And people stop and ask her if she's okay, and she asks if she can have a ride home. And she'll get into the backseat of people's car, but when they go to the address that she gave them, she won't be there anymore. Right. So, you know. Uh, so many it, that's wonderful a, cla- cla- um, details get added to that story back and yeah. forth. Um, and you can hear that story in almost every town. Absolutely. Almost every town has a hitchhiker ghost, and it's yeah. that story told and told and told, and that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like the the Japanese um, ghost after that horrendous tsunami. Oh, um, yeah. Was it a tsunami? It was yeah, a tsunami, Yeah, it was right? a tsunami. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I love that story. Drivers. Not even just that, because uh, I thought about that too, but like how there were like, there were like, uh, there's a go. There's like a ghost of a person that's like soaking wet and like arrives at the front door of people's house and is asking for dry clothes. And the person goes to get dry clothes. And when the person comes back, there's like 15 other soaking wet people because yes. they're like, "Wait, I want dry clothes too." Ugh, that, yeah. that that sends like chills down my spine. I Would just, that be a intelligent or residual? Um. So the fact that there's a request suggests yeah. that it's, it's intelligent. intelligent. Okay. Yeah, you know, and and more so, the fact that it is a drowned ghost mm-hmm. looking for comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because conceptually, when you die, <laughs> you become a spirit form, and that harkens to the idea of dying very quickly and not not completely registering sure. your dead, yes. not completely knowing you're dead, um, and that I, I think those are possibly the the most vibrant of ghosts, mm-hmm. the ghosts, the recently departed who don't completely understand that they're dead. What happened? You know, yeah. Whatever happened, happened so quickly and so fast that their spirit is still like, wait a minute, and trying to function, you know, trying to map out its existence, which, um, which also lends itself to the idea that the recently departed might have more agency over things like learning and mm-hmm. things like, you know, the, the, the hard drive isn't completely down. You know, there may be a, a while where there's some resource where they can learn and grow and figure out things. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder, sometimes I think about how my wife would haunt me if like <laughs> she died before me, uh, God forbid, uh, I would, I would definitely move out into the woods and become a mountain man. If that happened like legit, I just give up and, uh, I would just go out, uh, we family have a mountain cabin. I just lived there probably for the rest of my life. And I feel like, I feel like I would be like laying down in bed and all of a sudden I'd feel like super cold feet touch my legs. I'm like, oh my God, like, you suck so bad, Madison. Like, or her hands are always hot because she has trouble with like temperature control. And I feel like I'd feel them on the back of my neck. I'd be like, ugh, yeah. what is that? <laughs> I'm like, and I just know really that selling she's the romance there. No, it's just how would she, I wouldn't would do she, anything nice as a ghost. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) I'm not a a sweet ghost. No, she's not a sweet ghost. But um, I'd be be making a sandwich and all of a sudden I'd feel someone smack my butt. (laughs) No, that would be me. Yes. (laughs) That would actually be great. Yes. um, My favorite ghosts to interact with, though, as intelligent hauntings are children ghosts because they're just so much fun. Yeah. But, like, I just like kid ghosts in general. I think we vibe. But, you know, Mm. it's... um, It's actually worth noting that children ghosts uh, exist in a different category uh, in my mind. Yeah. Uh, Because a child um, dies with their imagination really intact. Mm -hmm. And an imagination can serve as a hard drive. Mm-hmm. An imagination means that you have the ability to make things up and believe them and further your own existence. And as such, that gives you this uh, amazing... Uh, and that's why children ghosts are hardy. Mm-hmm. Children ghosts can last a long time. They don't fade away. You don't hear about shadow children that often. I can't even think of a single instance where I've heard of a shadow child because the child holds itself together using an imagination that as adults, we don't have the same access to, which kind of suggests that maybe imagination is stored away from our physical being. It is something we can tap into and utilize uh, the divine inspiration concept, the idea that artists are pulling from some other place to fuel their genius. So, Children, I think, are also, children's spirits are very susceptible to demonic assault. Mm -hmm. They are very susceptible to negative parasitic entities who are attracted to the fact that the child will not fade or diminish, will be able to define its existence on its own, and can learn. Mm -hmm. Which also makes them dangerous, because 
children are kind of rotten sometimes. And they can be, yeah. They can be. And that makes them uh, a little on the danger side. Well, there you go. So with that being said, um, kid ghosts are fun, but avoid the rotten ones. Um, but we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. So uh, this has been a great episode. We always like talking about the paranormal theories of things. And also, you know, um, hopefully you guys learned a little bit about uh, different types of entities from this. So um, if you don't already, follow us on TikTok at the Savannah Underground. Also, if you want to become a patron and join the Para Junkie fam, then you can find us at patreon.com slash Savannah Underground. But with that... My name is Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie. And stay spooky, y'all.